Hi, this is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. And just to recap, we have the mental, physical, spiritual on the left side. Those are in our control, 100%, the way I define spiritual. And the emotional part, that's in our control as well. However, it's the area that's most likely or most susceptible to being triggered, and that's in the middle. I call it the gateway over to the right side. And the right side are where are those things that we want, the relationships, professional, and then financial. And it's set up as a be-do-have versus how society tends to run and condition us, which is a have-do-be. When I have the car, when I have the house, when I have the job, when I have the title, then I'll be happy. And it never comes because we're constantly chasing something. That's why I have the graphics set up the way, the way it is. I tried a lot of different formats. And this one, like I said, it aligns with the be-do-have. And it makes the case about the part that we control because we first have to become someone. Now, the professional area, actually relationships, professional and financial, I did spend quite a bit of time in how I want to unpack these because they're so broad. It's breadth and depth and because it depends on a person's life design. So I wanted to be high enough level so it encompasses everything and it's evergreen. But on the other hand, I needed to make sure that it's practical and actionable. And so what I'm going to do is use in professional and financial I'll create context for conversation, context for taking a second look, context for pausing and circling before jumping in. It's an opportunity for you to think about some of your paradigms with respect to the professional and the financial area, and then make adjustments accordingly if that's what it takes. Keeping in mind that the unconscious process is way more, 11 million bits per second than the conscious mind at 50 bits per second. And so there's always something that we're missing. And that's why it's so important to have some kind of a mastermind group. If you're in business, some kind of a network, some kind of a group that you can bounce ideas off of and and have this context that I'm talking about. And so this is the start of that, a context for having some sort of a network or or context for being in some sort of a network or relationship or mastermind. The first area I want to cover is, is energy. Because Newtonian physics didn't really look at energy, everything was linear. But if you think about the thought at its most base level is energy. Kinetic energy quadruples with the doubling of speed. Now, while it's not a direct correlation, I see similarities in terms of energy that we have in in business. And I look at energy, kinetic energy might be seen as your balance sheet. The reason I talk about it as energy is because energy doesn't get destroyed and it doesn't get created in a closed system. It transforms. It can dissipate, but then it can be gathered again and and put into something productive. So if we spend time putting up a skyscraper, and spend five years building that skyscraper, that takes a lot of energy. It takes human capital to build it and it takes resources to build it. And then it provides office space for multiple decades for offices. So we invest that energy, create the building, go five years before seeing any income. But because we invested that energy, it now can provide a service. So as you think about business that way, where you are taking your energy and building something, some sort of a service, some kind of a product or service or value, and then you're able to collect money for it. And that money that you collect should be at a profit. You want to leverage the energy and you also want to make sure you conserve it because this concept of entropy, there's always leakage. We're always, think about it as your lawn with the weeds. If you don't take care of your lawn, you're going to get weeds. You have to, or your garden, you have to constantly take care of it, weeding it. And it's the same way. If we're not constantly plugging the holes, we have energy leaking out all over the place. 
And we've seen businesses go under just because they're not able to plug, identify and then plug those holes. They build a model and you think that's it and they just keep going. And when tough things get hard, they just work harder and more and faster, but they don't plug up the the leakages. Talking about plugging up the leakages, I have this model that I like to talk about where you want to find out what your purpose is. And if your purpose is you're now facing 12 o'clock, you're facing your purpose, then you want to look at your passions that are on either side of that 12 o'clock. So let's say we're using the clock. 12 o'clock is straight ahead of me. And my passions might go from 10 o'clock over to 2 o'clock. That's a pretty good range. I've got two points on each side. That's a pretty good cone shape that I can use to pivot. And those numbers have to do with your passions. I, I know quite a few people say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I think it was Buffett who said, the secret to business is do what you love. Steve Jobs may have said that as well. And I don't disagree with that, but I think that those state, that statement, it has a presupposition that it's understood in business we're talking about providing a service that people are willing to pay for and that has enough value that you're able to also have a profit from it. Instead of just looking at it as do what you love, and I learned this the hard way. I left the corporate world. I invested a ton of money into a bunch of motorcycles and was renting them out. Great business. I was having fun, hard work. And sometimes that was a little bit much because I kind of bought a job is what I did. I was the person working on the bikes as well as checking out the customers, et cetera, et cetera. There's just not a lot of margin in that business. I was working to that point where I would be able to hire the staff. I had part-time staff. It wasn't a business. It was a job. What I learned in that process, although I was doing what I loved, it wasn't serving a large enough sector of the population to actually become a business, not at the level I was. Now, you know, if you look in the U.S., motorcycle licenses get somewhere around 2 to 3% of the people have a license. It's a little higher than that when you bring in overseas, and that was my clientele. But that's still not enough. And so between it being a seasonal business and between it, between it being a seasonal business and a small slice of the economy, it made the business a little bit more challenging. And I think any seasonal business is a challenge, especially if you have infrastructure, because you're still paying the cost of maintaining that infrastructure during the off-season year. So you need to have some kind of a way to shore that up. And these are things I learned the hard way. But the biggest lesson I had was when the pandemic hit that doing what you love, that may not be enough emotional juice to carry you through the tough times versus doing something that's your purpose. And so my purpose was actually, in using that clock example, my purpose was almost like seven o'clock or six even. So the pivot was like 180 degrees. That's too much of a pivot. So that's why I came up with the model where you, you find your purpose and then you find your passions that are within the context of you providing a service that you can sell at a value that's high enough where you ha can have a profit. And now you can pivot between passion on one side of purpose and passion on the other side of purpose, but you're always going in the direction of your purpose. You're always heading to, towards your purpose, and year after year, that starts to compound. It becomes your brand. Your brand is built around your purpose, and so you always have that latitude to go to either side. And I like to say that the purpose provides the fuel to carry you through the lean times, but the, and the passion gives you the fuel to go after some big opportunities, something that maybe your purpose wouldn't drive, but that passion is going to make you, you know, work the 12 and 16 hours a day when you're doing something that you're really passionate about. So now we're taking doing what we love, but wrapping it around with the purpose 
And so you're pivoting between purpose and passion. So it's four Ps, pivot, purpose, passion, and process. You wanna have a process for how you pivot. And that's beyond the scope of this, but a short version would be you could pivot and sell existing products to new customer markets. Or you can pivot the other way and sell new products to your existing customer base. So that's just one example. But I'm more talking about being able to, to have some flexibility because you can see what your passions are. You can read the marketplace and things are changing so fast. And with the global economy and the internet and artificial intelligence, every two years, you could clearly set up a new operating model. Same basic fundamental business model, but you can change your operating model because of the way you can segment your market, you can advertise, target advertising, etc. That's just a, a framework, uh, again, a way to look at it and have some common language. Now, as you get into your business, in order to scale, at some point, you're going to have to have people helping you. And there's a lot of virtual work, remote work these days. There's freelancers. So it's not always going to be employees, but they're still human beings, and human beings still have the same need. And if you look at some of the gig economy where these folks are independent contractors, when you peel back the onion, you still hear language that's like their employees. So it's, there's hybrid. It's really a hybrid. They're, they're independent contractors, no question about it. But the mentality is sort of a hybrid between that and there's some employee thinking that goes behind it. Not, nothing to trip over, but my point is I want to bring up the self-determination theory because that tells us that people really want to know that they have some competency and they can build their competency to do the work that they have to do. They want the relatedness. They want to know that they're in on things and they have enough information. They have a connection to the bigger picture, whether it's that boss's vision, the owner's vision, or the customers, what the customers are doing. They want some relatedness there. And then they want an, a, an amount of autonomy. People are spending two-thirds of their waking hours doing work. It stands to reason that they would like to be able to be the best version of themselves to the degree possible. And that requires some autonomy. If all I have to do, if all I can do is wait to be told what to do, that's not going to motivate me very, very much because I don't have the autonomy to step into, let's call it Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you start looking at esteem and better yet self-actualization and start living into purpose. I built high-performing teams by focusing on what people's purpose was and then working their assignments so that at least it's connected to their purpose. It's almost impossible to always have a direct one-for-one -one correlation to one's purpose, but when you could connect it to their purpose and show how they're actually moving closer, you don't have to be on it, right? Moving towards their purpose, moving towards self-actualization by doing the task in this certain way, it, does, it goes a long, long way. So if you haven't done it, look up this self-determination theory and then start looking at your business practices. If you're thinking about making people and controlling people and using fear motivation, you're probably missing the boat. And on that fear motivation in sales, because that's my, my area, when you have incentives, that's typically not enough. A commission, for example, is not enough for salespeople to give their all. They always leave money on the table. So then we end up having rankings. And you have a chart on the wall that shows who's in first and who's, you know, 15th place or whatever. You have to understand that that ranking creates 
a fear a form of fear motivation. Now, you may not think so. You may say, oh, it's just an incentive and we're just showing people where they are. They know, you know, they know they're secure. No. As soon as you have a ranking system, because of how people process, and it's a cognitive bias, which I'm going to get into next. That's the next series of the cognitive biases and how they hold us back and how they get in the way of us achieving our goals. The way humans operate, they're naturally going to look at what they're not doing, at what's not right. And if they're number six, if they're number seven or eight out of 15, you better believe they're walking home being scared for their job. And as soon as a person is scared for their job, two things happen. One is it's harder to invest more, and they may even be looking at their other options, which takes away energy from, what, from where you want that energy to be. But the other thing that happens is it's very difficult to be in protection mode and growth mode at the same time. So, you know, in a simple way of looking at it from an adrenaline standpoint and, and what happens in a fight or flight, how our systems shut down to provide all that available blood supply to be able to either fight the lion or run. And that's what happens when we get into either growth. When we're in growth mode, all of our functions are working properly. But where, when we're in protection mode, they shut down. So... You need them in growth mode to make sales. They're not going to be making, they're not going to be the best version of themselves in protection mode. Just something to think about. Again, beyond the scope of this, and I know everybody's not in a manager or leadership position, so I'm touching on a few different things. Organizations do have habit patterns. It's called culture, and culture eats strategy for lunch. One of the things we can do is, is look for conscious leadership seek win-win. Even if you're not a leader, seek win-win or no deal. The more you can move towards that, the better everything is going to be for all. Win-lose, especially if you buy into the fact that we are all connected in some way, win-lose becomes lose-lose at some point. There's one more thing I'll add in for the leaders and managers out there and, and, and entrepreneurs. Be careful of the metaphor that you use. I've been in organizations that have run with a military metaphor I've been in organizations that have run with a political metaphor. I've been in organizations that thought they were running with a family metaphor. Now you have to be careful with this because the metaphor that the leadership is running with, it brings on a lot of other baggage that they're probably not signed up for, but it happens anyway because they've taught people how to think about it. Personally, I think the best way to run an organization is a team metaphor. Look at it, teams are based on performance. You pay based on performance. You earn your way on, you earn your way into better positions, uh, you get on the bench if you're not performing, and you get deselected if your performance drops too far. That is a team, and, and we're supposed to be winning, whether it's winning against the competition or winning against our targets. It's about winning. And then it puts the leadership in a role as coach, and that's why I talk about leader as coach. When you have leader as coach, that's the way to pull out the high-performing team. But let me just go through this quickly. Let's say you have a family metaphor. That's a real challenge because the only person who wins in that is the owner. The family metaphor in the family, how do you get into the family? You're born in, you're married in, something like that. How do you get out of the family? You're basically not. You, you stay there and you may get ostracized. You may get put in the corner. You may get marginalized. But essentially, you, you could have some very poor performance still hanging around because it's a family. The other thing that happens is People tend to 
expect more from employees when it's a family because, hey, give one for the Gipper, you know, do one for the, give one for the team. And people end up being overworked because of this family. So be very careful about that. And it's very hard to get high performance because now you have employees or team members looking to the left and to the right and seeing who's getting what kind of a deal and is their deal good enough. So be careful with that one. The political metaphor, I think, is, is very costly for an organization because you look at politics and how there's two sides, two camps fighting against each other, and it's ideology. It, think about fans of teams. People will die on their sword for the sake of the team rather than admit that they were wrong. And you don't want that in an organization. I've seen organizations do that, and they'll pit two camps against each other and figure out who they should promote. It's an expedient model, but it's not one where you're going to build high-performing teams across the board. And then the other one I mentioned was military. So military is command and control. And that works for a little while, but there's a lot of fear motivation in there. There's a lot of, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. There's a, you know, do what you're told. I, if I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you thinking. There's a lot of that language that, or a lot of that thinking that goes in when there's a military metaphor. It's also the idea that it, collateral damage is okay. And people know that. They feel that. And you get back to the self-determination theory that needing re relatedness gets missed because in the military model, collateral damage, like I said, is okay. And, you know, if, if it takes losing a few people to get this objective, and it's not the fact that we're not going to terminate people. I mentioned in the team metaphor, you still deselect, but it's how it's done and why it's done. If you do it right, the person who's being deselected for performance, they know it before you even open your mouth about it. But in the military metaphor, sometimes those people, it's just out of convenience. We're getting rid of people because it's convenient. So it's the how it's done. And I would say if it's a business, we want to move towards more of a team metaphor. It's going to support your high performance. The one thing I would leave you with is don't just look at revenue, look at profit. And we'll talk about that in the financial area. Profit growth is as important, if not more important than revenue growth. You don't want just profit growth without the revenue growth because you can cut your way to being out of business but you do want to have your growth be profitable. All right, we'll see you next time. <music>